0: Forgive me. We we'll get out of here a little bit early, but um, we want to share just a couple things real quick. So let's let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the worship we've heard. We thank you for the children we've been given. God, what a blessing our children are. Uh, Lord, I, as a parent, I cry out to you, Lord, that that I wouldn't wish it away. That I wouldn't get frustrated and. not take full advantage of every moment that I have, and I pray that for all of our parents. Lord, I pray that we savor our children each and every moment, that we would be in hot pursuit of you, Lord Jesus, so that when we tell them about you, they know that we mean it, that we'd be practicing what we would preach. Father, and I just pray that you'd raise up a generation of adults that are following Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and their hearts are on fire for you, and and then their hearts are turned towards the children. Lord, I pray you do that work in this church, as I pray that often, Lord, that, that you'd just do that work in us and touch this next generation in a powerful way, Father. I pray they can be the generation that has testimonies of seeing God's power move in their lives through their teenage years. That they not go astray and feel like they have to do the whole walk away from God thing and find out how terrible it is. Lord, that they just would find out how good you are and just walk with you. Lord, I pray we'd be amazed with what they do and how they live. And we ask you to do that work in and through our church here, here, Father. Thank you for our children and pray your protection over them, Lord. Tonight I ask you just continue to speak, Lord, as you've been speaking to this church. Just continue to speak. Pray you give us hearts that can hear. So enlighten our darkness and stir us towards you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to be in. Uh, again, I'm going to be pretty, pretty quick tonight. Just got a couple pages here, of notes, and when I'm done, I'm done. So. Um I'm in the amplified Bible tonight. I got my old amplified Bible out. This Bible was the Bible that I, I mean I can look I can go through this thing and it is so heavily underlined and written in and studied through. and this is the Bible that I had when I was uh, just coming back to the Lord from my wandering years and um, and just got this incredible appetite for God's word and and just, I was in this Bible like just nonstop. Um, so it's got a, as I've been opening it and reading it again and seeing some of the things I wrote, what I underlined, it's been a real, it's a testimony. You know, that's what a testimony is. You, you go through seasons of life and you put things down so you can go back and remember where you've been. And so your Bible should be a testimony of sorts. You know, I, I like to, I've done a couple funerals here Uh, lately and uh, I haven't done a funeral. I did tons of funerals in Summertown um, and and I hadn't done any for like 15 years and so uh, maybe not about 10 years. So coming back and doing these again, one of the things I like to do is I like to get a person's Bible. You know, if I'm going to preach your funeral I want your Bible. Because I can find things in that Bible about you and God that people need to hear. Um and I remember uh, preaching Randy's funeral. He had gotten in Revelation and underlined some things and then wrote with his own pen some things and that I was able to say, and man, it landed for that family. It's just a powerful thing to be able to say this guy uh, knows the Lord and is with the Lord. Um, and to, to be able to say that from a person's own words and in the word, his own Bible, it's a powerful thing. So I would say that to you get in your Bible, make a testimony of the fact you've got a relationship. Make a a testimony of the fact that you hear the Lord from His Word and make notes about it for you and others because you're going to pass on one day and others are going to read it. And you never know what God wants to do with your relationship, even if it's behind closed doors at the time. So uh, I didn't mean to say all that, but I did. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18. I'm going to read that. You don't need to stand. Let me just read this. Now, this is going to sound strange to you because it's coming from the the Amplified Bible, but it's uh, but it's uh, it's really good, and that's where I wanted to start tonight. 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18 is what I'm going to read. Again, this is the verse. The it's a principle, beholding and becoming. And uh, this is what we want to behold. 2 Corinthians 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, freedom. And all of us, As with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isn't that good? Man, I love some of these verses in the Amplified, just land. So I want to talk again. We're on the same theme of transformations. And I want to hone in on the fact that this is God's specialty. And it, it, brings, it, it brings me to concern when it isn't happening. Because it's his specialty. It is what he does. It is his whole thing. Is that you come to him broken and bruised and messed up. And he adds himself to you and there is transformation. Now that doesn't mean that it has to happen. We know that that God saves. However, that's the good side of it. That's the whole point. He saves us to take us to heaven, yes, but we have a whole life here. That's what it's about, to be set free, to be transformed. That's a witness to the world. So transformation, what what is it about transformation? And transformations in story that humans find so compelling because you find them all through story not just in Scripture you find them all through literature everywhere the Phoenix rises from the ashes Cinderella rises from the cinders to become a queen the ugly duckling becomes a beautiful swan Pinocchio becomes a real boy the frog becomes a prince Wretched old Scrooge becomes a warm, generous lover of Christmas and people. The cowardly lion gets his courage, the scarecrow gets his brains, and the tin woman gets a new heart. I could go on and on and on, right? I mean, we could. Any movie that you love and any great piece of literature has this theme, transformation. In hope beyond hope, they are all transformed into the very thing they never thought could be. That's what, bring, that's what we love about great stories, right? Why are we so enchanted by tales of transformation? How many great works of literature and the movies we love seem to always involve transformation, an unlikely yet determined someone who gives their all for love and something magical and wonderful occurs. Why is it an essential part of any great story? Because it is the secret to Christianity. It's God's specialty. It's at the heart of his grand story. Transformations. John 3, 7 says, Ye must be born again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. It's about change. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal origin, but from one that is immortal, by the ever-living ever and lasting Word of God. Is this not the message of the Gospel? You go from the front to the back in this. Abram becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. Sarah gets an H added to her name and goes from Baran to the mother of Isaac. It's been taught in the Hebrew that that H, it's signified an H in English, but it's, a, it's like an addition of God to the name. So you've got Abram and then you've got Abraham, God and Abram, the whole new person. Can do all kinds of new things. Will do. Jacob get, goes from a trickster to Israel arrested ruler with God Moses is an Egyptian prince he goes into a become a shepherd and then becomes the greatest legislator in human history Joshua was a slave gets turned into a leader of a free people a military genius Gideon's a terrified farmer becomes a valiant warrior-conqueror. David's a poor, rejected shepherd, and he becomes the prototype to the king of kings and lord of lords. John is a weird eccentric out in the desert, and he's given a voice that thunders. Precedes the coming of our Lord Jesus. I mean, what can I say about Jesus? Like, I don't know that massive transformation, but I will say this: from the cross to riding on a white horse, he came as a lamb. He comes back as a lion, and I was reminded this. C. S. Lewis says, "You know, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. He's terrifying." he does what he wants aren't you glad it's always good but he still he didn't tame 11 uneducated high school dropouts turn the world upside down what they said about him these disciples these apostles they've turned the world upside down rock the planet for God Saul was a zealous murderer of Christians. He becomes the Apostle Paul, the chiefest of sinners and a writer of much of the New Testament. Mary Magdalene had seven devils and was a prostitute. She became Mary, the last of the truly faithful and the first to hear the words from the resurrected Jesus. And Zacchaeus, we could talk about Zacchaeus, a trickster, a cheater, turned generous and honest man. So what about us? What's our story of transformation? That God Almighty has encountered us and we are not different. All these people that we listed here, all of them were tested, tested by life. God tested them. And by God's grace, they were able to put their lives on the altar so that God could consume it and change the world. That's all he needs. Just get on the altar. Let him consume it. He'll consume you. He'll do something with you and me if we'll give ourselves to him sacrificially, if we'll submit, if we'll surrender. Talking to praying over my own life here this week and realizing there's just something. You know, you know when we walk away from the Lord, we, we make vows, we do things, we build walls in here. And they don't just come down when we decide. We're, we're fragile and we're complicated. And there's just things God's been continuing to work on in me, wanting to get things out so he could move in. You know, we want God to come in and we'll pray for him to do so. But see, we've put things in there and they don't get out easily. So we can have sanity. If we change that fast, we'd all go insane. We're very complicated beings. God has to do just a little bit at a time. Show up a little bit of himself at a time to take ground. To take ground. I was reminded of uh, something I saw in... Proverbs one, one time I was reading in Proverbs 8, I can't remember the verse exactly but it talks about when you hate pride when you hate pride and you begin to remove it and you hate the froward mouth and you hate the evil way, when you hate it and you begin to remove it from your life the, God says then I'll fill you with wisdom so see it's an exchange it's an exchange, things have to be things have to come out before God can move in. And that process is a process of surrender. We can't be full of two things at the same time. But God is faithful to do that. And so my prayer tonight, and I'm really, I'm just about done. We're, we're getting out of here seriously early. But the point is surrender. Surrender to the Lord. Surrender to the process. Don't go around the mountain again on the same issue. God's always got a test in front of us. You fail the test, you take it over. You may take the same test for the rest of your life, but he will wait on you. comes a point where it's your move. So what's the test you're dealing with? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to put on the altar? Sometimes you don't know. You're just crying out for the Lord to have grace and mercy. Fill me with yourself. Remove what needs to be removed. It's a, it's a heart cry, Lord. That, thank you that your grace covers me. Thank you that, Jesus, you really did die for all of my sin, past, present, and future. This isn't about sin management. This is about you consuming me. Right? We're not trying to sin less. You don't want to get into that. That won't work out for you. Just be consumed with his love. You'll sin less if you're consumed with his love. But he's not up there with a ledger marking. I it again. He's just like, want me. I'm valuable. Know this. Seek me. Want me. Surrender all. Be faithful. Gosh, can we imagine, guys, on our marriage night, Stepping out on the woman that we're about to give our lives to. I mean, it sounds horrific when we put it in those terms, but that's what God says all through the Old Testament to the Israelites. says some pretty graphic things about them. I would blush to read them. But those, you know, that's a metaphor that, that... because we understand it, but he just wants faithful lovers, those that understand how beautiful he is, what he's done, the type of God that he is. Now just give yourself to me. I know you're weak. I know you're fragile. I know you can't do it 100%. Give me everything that you can give me. Give me something to work with. I'll build off of what you give me if you'll give it honestly, truthfully. Work up a good appetite for me. Ask for appetite. When you don't desire me, ask to desire me. Ask for it. I mean, he's, he's bending over backwards, folks. Hebrews 12, 7 and 9 tells us that God deals with us as with sons and daughters. Surrender to his love and training for transformation. He wants to transform us. He wants our children to see transformed parents. They can't be fooled. Nobody's fooled, really. And you might say, well, I can't, or I'm trying. Is anybody out there too weak like me? Just too weak? Lord, I bring you my weakness. Let me end with this verse here. This is again in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in the the Amplified. this says it well. I'm going to read 9 and 10. But he said to me, My grace, my favor, and loving kindness and mercy are enough for you that is sufficient against any danger and to enable you to hear, to bear the trouble manfully. You're going to be able to belly up to your issues and just stand there and ask for strength. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed and show themselves most effective in your weakness. That's good news for us. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. How would you all like to have God's tent pitched over you? Now, he said in the Old Testament that he, in certain Hebrew translations, that he took Gideon and put him on like a glove. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Verse 10, so for the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and take pleasure in infirmities, insults, hardships, persecutions, and perplexities, and distresses. For when I'm weak in human strength, then I'm truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. It's an exchange. And we want to find that sweet spot and let God do a work of transformation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have finished the work. You paid the price. We have no excuses, Father. You tell us plainly. You know we're weak. You know we're fragile. You know what humans are. And you died for them. You died for us. You've given us everything that we need to be rightly related to the Father, to receive from Him the Holy Spirit, and to stand up in the dominion of the Son. And Lord, we're asking You do this powerful work in our church, one to another, Lord. Give us desire for You that we would cry out and that You would come and consume us. Consume us, Father, with Yourself. Make us the one that we are in Your eyes. We love you and we praise you tonight, Father, in Jesus' mighty name.